Hello and welcome back to the triumphant return of Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. And this time it's episode 161, and we're going to talk about where the podcast has been and what that actually means for you, because folks, time is running out. We're also going to talk about a problem with not using your van, which I just ran into, a product review of a backup alarm that doesn't beep, and a tale from the road involving a nude woman and pizza. What could be better? <laughs> Hi, folks. Thanks very, very much for your patience. It has been a, a rough few weeks here. Some of you who follow me on Facebook and stuff kind of know what's going on. But the bottom line is, when I left you last, I was getting ready to go to Africa. And I was pre-recording episodes. And I had planned on releasing some episodes from Africa as bonus content. And yeah, well, none of that happened. None of it. Instead, what happened is my wife came down with a serious condition, not life-threatening, but serious nonetheless, and she had to have surgery, and we had to cancel our trip to Africa. And this is one of those things where, yes, it sucks, but it also doesn't suck, because if what had happened had happened while we were in Africa, and not just in Africa, but in a rural region of South Africa... Yeah, it would have been much, much worse. So we're actually kind of thankful that all this unfolded before we actually got out there on the trip. But needless to say, we're also disappointed that we did not get to go to Africa, and now we have no plans to go to Africa. That trip is just kind of gone. On top of that, I managed to get sick myself. I've had three different ailments back-to-back ever since she had her surgery. And I'm actually struggling to get through this podcast now because I can't talk for very long without coughing. And uh, in fact, I've been listening to the song by Everything Everything called Cough Cough. And yes, that's basically my life now. So I think I'm good enough to get through this podcast and through the magic of editing, even though it might take me three hours to record this half an hour, I should get through it and there should be no coughing for you on your end, <laughs> I hope. And I do want to say thank you to everyone who reached out to me with warm wishes. I do appreciate it. And all I can say is thanks, guys. I will continue to produce the podcast as long as people are listening. And for those of you who are caught up and listen week to week, I'm sorry that there were, what, how many weeks did I miss? Four? Three or four? Maybe five weeks? I don't even know. And I don't care to look at the calendar because that's all in the past. And it's time to look towards the future. Now, as perspective, this was very eye-opening to me, and it's not something that I wasn't aware of to begin with, but the truth is that life runs out of tomorrows. This is something my dad has said for years. In fact, it used to be his tagline in his email. Life runs out of tomorrows, and you have to take advantage of things when you can. Now, there's a principle of frugality that says hedonism is bad, and Instant gratification is bad, and you should really just kind of plan things carefully and don't feel like you have to do everything right away. And, well, if anything's showed us in the past few years, sometimes you should. For example, we had this trip planned to Africa. We'd been planning it for eight months or so. It was a kind of a cool thing. We really wanted to do it. But... It was not a bucket list item for us because we've already been to Africa. We had a chance to go back in 2016 and we took it. And because of that, while we're disappointed, we don't feel like we've missed out on an opportunity that will never come again. And that helps a little bit. 
a little bit. It still sucks. But a, perhaps a better example is in 2013, we went to Galapagos. Now, going to the Galapagos, is, um, it's a fairly strenuous trip. I mean, not only do you have to travel a lot, when you actually get to the Galapagos, there's a lot of hiking... There's a lot of swimming in fast currents. I mean, you don't have to be in top physical shape to do it, because I certainly wasn't when I went there. But you do have to be able to do a mile or two's worth of hiking and to be able to swim wearing a wetsuit for an hour or so to get the full effect. You can do less than that, but if you really want to do Galapagos, that's kind of the minimum. And now, I don't know that my wife and I could actually do that. Now, I might be able to, but my wife's condition is such that she may not be able to actually have the stamina to do that. Or to do things like Sacha Lodge, which is in the Ecuadorian rainforest, but part of the Amazon, although it's on a different river, where we would spend all day hiking through the jungle. And it was 85 degrees with 99% humidity. And yeah, I mean, you have to have a certain level of physical fitness to do this. The other thing you also need is to have the financial resources to do these things. And unfortunately, the way most people's lives are structured is when they're young and healthy and they can do everything, they don't have the money to do these things. And then as they get older and have savings and then have the money, well, then suddenly the physical stuff starts falling apart. And this is just one of the cruelties of life. So the bottom line of this is, if you want to do something and you have the opportunity to do it, do it! <laughs> Don't wait. Don't listen to the people who are f saying, oh, be frugal. Look, uh, I think you are going to regret much more the things you didn't do than the things you do. You hear that a lot, right? And as far as travel's concerned, I absolutely think that's true. And I think this is especially true for van life. Now, let's say you're 20 years old. Just going to pick an example. You're 20 years old. You don't have a lot of money, but you have a bit and you now have the choice between going to college or going to visit every national park in a van for a year. Well, what should you do? Obviously, the choice is up to you. But what would the wise choice be? Well, you know, you should go to college. You should absolutely do that. You can always go in a van later. It, uh, no. <laughs> I mean, I'm not telling anybody what to do here, but I'll tell you this, that you probably won't be able to go out in a van later because the normal path is that once people get through college and then they graduate and then oftentimes they're in a relationship by then, they're thinking about starting a family or they have to start their first job right away and you simply don't have the time. So if you're a young person on the fence about whether to do uh, your next major life stage or head out in a van... Well, if you don't have any golden opportunities, like you don't have a major corporation knocking on your door offering you a six-figure salary, maybe you should consider heading out in a van for a while and giving that a try. You don't have to do it forever. You could do it for a week, six weeks, six months, a year, six years, however it works out, or just leave it open-ended and see how it goes. Because if you don't take that chance to do it while you can, you may find yourself 20 years later wishing you had and now realizing that you have obligations that prevent you from doing it or you don't have the time to do it or you don't have the health to do it. These are important considerations that I think the Protestant work ethic or whatever you want to call it gets in the way of. Society seems to think that there's something wrong with heading out exploring. You know, there's that whole thing about after college, you go and backpack through Europe and stuff. This is that same kind of thing. If you can do it and you want to do it, do it. 
Now, here's an example of that that actually happened to me in real life. Uh, I went to Disney World as a kid. It was 1979, I think, so I was like 12 years old. And one of the things I really wanted to do was ride around in those little yellow speedboats they had on the lakes. I don't know if they still have those or not, but that was a thing then, was that even as a kid, you could rent these little tiny speedboats and cruise around the lake. And I thought that was the neatest thing in the world. And so as soon as we got there, I was like, hey, I want to do this. Let's do this. And my parents, very frugally, were like, well, since that's such a special thing, let's save that for the end. We'll do everything else. And then on the last day, that's what we'll do. And I was a little bit disappointed, but I was like, okay, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Save the best for last and it'll be fine. Unless a hurricane comes and closes the park. <laughs> hurricane David rolled in and they closed the park on the last day. And I did not get the chance to do that. I didn't get the chance to do the speedboats until much later when I was much older and much heavier. And it actually changed the experience. My boat wasn't very fast because it was kind of built for somebody who was 10 years old, not 15 years old or however I was when I finally got to do it. So pretty minor thing in the grand scheme of things. But it's just an example of this principle that sometimes it really does make sense to do it while you can. And that's exactly why I went to Antarctica. I had the funds set aside for it. I had the time and I had enough physical health that I could do it. And I did it. And I'm glad. And I would love to go back. But if I never get to go back, I'm okay with that because I've actually been. But if I hadn't, if I had gotten sick just before that trip, I mean, this is a big bucket list item, I would have been very, very upset about it. Now, there's another side to this. I have a friend who used to come on a lot of these trips that I do, and they're not cheap. Some of them cost quite a bit of money. And I don't actually know what happened entirely because this person disappeared from my life and everybody else's life. But I heard a rumor that they had gotten into so much debt through travel that they had gotten themselves in serious trouble. So, as with everything, balance, moderation. You don't want to hurt your future just to take advantage of an opportunity you have now. But when you are doing that calculus, when you're sitting down deciding on whether you should do something or not, don't forget to account time and condition as resources. They change. They go away and often not under your control. So it's not just about money, and it's not just about the time the trip takes. It's also about the time in your life that you have to do this. And also, your health could be gone tomorrow. Everyone's could. So you have to consider that too. So I'm very mindful of this stuff now. Um, after this experience of having my whole life thrown into upheaval and all the plans I had changed, I, I had a whole bunch of plans you guys didn't even know about that are now gone. I'm going to restart. I'm going to readjust what I'm going to do. It's all going to be based on my current circumstances. Uh, but I will make an announcement here because making an announcement is a sort of a commitment. This podcast is going to turn into a YouTube show. It will still be a podcast, but it will also be a YouTube show. I had tried this once before, and I found that what happened is that the podcast quality went way downhill, and the YouTube quality never really got very good, so that was a, the wrong way to do it. The new way I'm going to do it, basically I'm going to record myself making the podcast, and then I'm going to add visuals for the YouTube channel. And that way the podcast is going to come first. It's going to be primarily a podcast with visual elements on YouTube. And basically the reason I'm doing this is because podcasts seem to be fading away a bit and YouTube is still going strong. 
a lot of folks, all they do is YouTube all the time. Even if they're driving, some of them will listen to YouTube and have the sound turned off, which you could certainly do. So that's coming in the future. I'm not exactly sure when. I'm setting up a studio now, and I've got all the equipment sorted, and I've got my own health to worry about here still, because <laughs> I'm struggling just to get through this segment. But that's what's coming, and thank you for listening and giving me the opportunity to do these things. I do absolutely appreciate it. Tech Talk. So, through all of this, it, it probably doesn't come as any surprise that I haven't been driving the van very much. Um, my wife is in the hospital for nearly three weeks, and I was using her car to commute back and forth to the hospital because I couldn't fit the van in the parking garage. So the van sat for all that time, and then I got sick, and the van sat for all that time. And it turns out that with Mercedes Sprinters especially, they don't like to sit. In fact, the battery is always constantly being drained in Sprinters, and, and all vehicles to some extent, but apparently it's ex especially strong in Sprinters. And after about three weeks, the battery starts to really be not so able to start your engine, especially in cold weather. And this happened to me so much that I killed the battery. Like, I destroyed this battery. And that I shouldn't have. Uh, this is We're not talking a lot of power here. We're talking about, you know, not even an amp probably, but it's enough over time to kill the battery, especially in cold weather. So my one-year-old battery, top-of-the-line battery that I could get for this thing, was reading 1.5 volts when I replaced it. That's a dead, dead, completely dead anchor. That is not even a battery anymore. Completely trashed. And I did it in a year because I wasn't driving the van enough. So this is specifically a Sprinter problem. And I'm sure other vans have this problem too. But it's also an ambulance problem because the wiring in my ambulance is, is still much of it is a mystery to me. I don't have a schematic and I've traced a lot of it. But the way ambulances are used in real life is that they're plugged in every night. They are used constantly, and they never sit. And that means that when they wire it up for use, they're not so worried about putting stuff on the starter battery because it's going to get charged all the time. And, well, that isn't my circumstance. So what can you do to avoid this? If, you have, if you're in a circumstance where you're not going to be driving your van all the time, what can you do? to prevent the thing from draining. Well, here's a few ideas. First, the simplest and easiest thing, and this is what everybody should do if they're ever parking their van long-term, say at an airport or something like that, is disconnect the battery. Now, most modern vans have a little thing you pull to disconnect the battery from the inside of the vehicle because your battery is usually in front of the driver's seat. This is true of Promasters and Sprinters and I think Transits, but I'm not exactly sure on that. Uh, in the Sprinter, there's this, this little thing under the dash that I could just press a button and pull a cable, and that kills the battery dead. And when you kill the battery dead, you also don't have any draw on it, and it will be just as good when you come back for it. So that's a thing. It's also a little bit of an anti-theft thing. You can always do that. Just remember what you've done when you get back in and try to start it and nothing happens. If you do this, of course, you're going to lose all your settings. Everything in your radio is going to be reset, and whether your headlights come on or not is reset, and all that stuff, that's just the price you pay. Another thing you can do is install a battery disconnect that's based on voltage. These exist. I've had them in vans before. 
And it basically is this thing that if the voltage gets too low, it disconnects the battery. These can be frustrating, but they will save you, and that's worth something. And I don't know, I don't like them that much, but that is a, a common way of handling this problem. And another thing you can do is, is what I tried to do is to get a solar backup that will just trickle charge your battery. And you would basically have to put in a second solar system in your rig just for the starter battery. It would have its own controller and it would be, you could do a little tiny 10 or 5 even watt solar panel just to get a little bit of charge in there. But obviously that's a lot of work. You got to find a place to put it and yeah, you can put it on the dashboard, but then your windshield's going to be half to facing south and windshields block a lot of light. Even though you can't tell when you're driving, a lot of light is blocked and that affects the amount of solar power you can get. So that's not a great solution either. What they recommend, what the factory recommends is that every, at least once every three weeks, you take your van out for an hour on the highway. That's a way to stop this problem. But you know, sometimes you don't always have that option. So be aware of this and keep in mind that if you're not going to use your van frequently, that you're going to have to take some steps to keep the battery safe. Product review. For some reason, the backup alarm in my ambulance died. It, it came with one when I had it. It was your standard. You put it in reverse. It goes beep, beep. You know, it's a standard thing. And uh, it died. All right. So, you know, the, the van is 12 years old, 12 year old, 12 years of beeping. Maybe it took its toll. That's fine. So, okay, I'll replace it. No big deal. But then I was watching a Tom Scott video, which I do all the time. Tom Scott is my hero. Uh, you can check him out on YouTube. He's just this little five minute explainer guy. That's just terribly fascinating to me. And he pointed out a district in England where backup alarms are illegal. I thought, well, that's strange. It's a safety device. And the reason they're illegal is because there was a major construction project in this one district that was going on for over 10 years. And it had so many vehicles that all the residents were just subjected to beeping all the time. Their entire lives were beep, beep all the time. And so they got rid of the backup alarms, but not in the way you might think. They didn't just get rid of them. They replaced them with something else. And I just got one. And it's kind of cool. It's an alarm, but it doesn't beep. Instead, it does this. It's a white noise backup alarm. You put it into reverse and it makes a loud white noise sound that is very obvious if you're near the vehicle and it's almost startling. You're like, what's that? But if you're in a house, you kind of can't hear it. That sound does not travel very far. So that actually makes a lot of sense. Now, I bought one. I haven't installed it yet, but I've tested it out, and I think this is going to be great. The thing, the thing also has a light on it, too. So when you put it in reverse, not only will it make the noise, it will have flash a light as well. So you can catch those people on their headphones, hopefully. There's not that much hope for them. Very simple to hook up. You just hook uh, black to the ground, and then the red wire goes to your backup lights. That's, that's how all the backup line alarms work. But this one also has two other wires that you can switch, and there's one wire for the light and one wire for the sound. It's a lot of work to do this, but I do recommend you install a switch for the sound because there are times where you don't want to make a backup noise when you back up. One example is if you're in a crowded campground and you need to back up to leave at like 5 a.m. and you don't want to wake people up, you can just turn off the alarm in that case. Just make sure you turn it back on. But I, I really think this is a great solution. I have tested the sound and it 
it is absolutely startling. I mean, it, it's not like loud, like you're going to drop everything you have kind of startling, but it gets your attention and makes you look. And that's the point of a backup alarm. Hey, there's a van backing up. They can't see anything. Get the heck out of the way. So I'll have a link for this thing in the show notes. It's got one of those weird Chinese names, and I'm sure there's other brands that do this, but it's, it's only 30 bucks. And uh, I think everyone who has a van should have some sort of a backup alarm. alarm. And this, this one I really like. I think it's going to be very effective. Tales from the road. So I've had many jobs, as some of you have commented on. And uh, there was one time I was home from college and I just wanted to make a little bit of money over Christmas break. So a friend and I literally walked into a Domino's and said, hey, uh, we've got two weeks. We'd be happy to deliver some pizza for two weeks. Why don't you hire us and we'll just do it for two weeks? And they were so desperate for drivers. They were like, heck yeah. So I was a Domino's pizza delivery driver for two whole weeks and uh, had lots of strange and unpleasant experiences doing this and, and destroyed the clutch in my car doing it because that job is brutal on your vehicle, which you all have to pay for yourself, by the way. You pay your own gas and vehicle. But uh, there was an experience I had at one spot. This was in Salem, Massachusetts, and there was this house on Derby Street in one of the oldest parts of the town that would call every Friday night and order a pizza. And everybody knew this address, and my first Friday night working, and uh, the call came in, and, and somebody said, who wants, whatever number it was, Derby Street, like, you know, who wants 121 Derby? And everybody started laughing. And I was like, what's going on? And they, somebody said, inevitably, eh, give it to the new guy. So I've got my Domino's jacket on, and they hand me this slip, and basically, back then, what you did was you'd get the pizza, and there'd be the address written on a slip on the pizza. And, you know, we didn't have GPS or anything. We had to look things up on maps and figure out how we were going to get there. But everybody in Salem knew Derby Street. That was an easy one. So I'm like, what's the big deal? I'm going to deliver this pizza. And, you know, maybe they don't tip, whatever, fine. So I drive down there. It's maybe five minutes to get there. And I go up to this house, and I ring the doorbell. And it didn't take very long, but somebody answered the door. Now, normally when people answer the door, they kind of open it slowly and, you know, look out and make sure it's the pizza guy, whatever. This person flung the door open and they did have a weather door there, like a screen door, but it still had glass on it because it was winter. And I could see through that this person, this uh, a woman, quite obviously a woman, was wearing absolutely no clothing. <laughs> and I, I'm like... Well, they're in their house. They've got no clothes on. I'm here standing there with a pizza. So, okay. I'm like, hi, large pepperoni? <laughs> and she said, yes, please. And she, she didn't open the door. She just kind of lowered the glass. And I handed the pizza through. And she gave me a big tip. <laughs> and that was that. And I walked slowly back to my car and got in the car, went back to the pizza place. And I had this weird look on my face as I walked back into the Domino's and everybody started laughing because apparently this happens every Friday night. This woman, every Friday night, would order a pizza at like 6.30, it wasn't even late, and uh, answer the door nude. And the speculation was that there was some kind of a game she was playing with a lover or maybe more than one of hers. And that was part of the game was they would answer the door nude and, and get a pizza. And, uh, Hey, I'm okay with that. 
I don't care. <laughs> you gotta, you're going to give me a good tip. I'll deliver pizza whether you're wearing clothes or not. That's completely up to you. And uh, yeah, well, I obviously only worked there for two weeks, so I didn't get to repeat that experience. But uh, that was one of the legends <laughs> of the Dominoes in Salem, Massachusetts. Honestly, I'm more grateful for the tip than anything else. A place to visit. Canada doesn't get enough love, and I'm going to give it some love today because there's a weird place in Canada that I went that has stuck with me. So in 2018, one of my favorite bands, Crash Test Dummies, was putting on a concert for the first time in a long time. And it was the full band. Like, everybody from the original lineup was going to be back, except for one guy, because there's always that one guy. And I was thrilled, but I'm in Chicago, and this concert was going to be in Winnipeg, which is where the band is from. And I was like, screw it, I'm going. So I got in my smart car and drove all the way to Winnipeg just to see this concert. And I got there a little bit early because, you know, I wanted to be prepared. I wanted to have time just in case something went wrong. And I was like, well, so what's interesting to see in Winnipeg? And Winnipeg has an old town. There's lots of cool stuff in Winnipeg. But I found this other spot in Rosser, Manitoba, which is kind of outside, just outside of Winnipeg that I had to go to. Now, this is one of those places that's a visual rather than a descriptor. But you drive down this road in Rosser, and you're out in the prairie. There's really nothing out there. But there are these hills. And on the hills are these 50-foot spires huddled together, just sticking up. And they're all different heights, and some of them are tilted, and they are apparently made of concrete, and there are no buildings nearby and no signs and no explanation. There's just maybe a hundred of these weird looking pylons that completely remind you of Stonehenge or something like that. And that's my kind of thing. <laughs> I took a lot of photos and I walked around and a lot of them have like poetry written on them. In fact, there's kind of a path you can take where you can read this poem that's very carefully lettered with some kind of really robust paint. And it's kind of a love story. And, and some of the things that are written on here are, it's always been you. I feel like a part of my soul has loved you since the beginning of everything. Maybe we're from the same stars and so on and so forth. And it's, it's, it's really cool and really surreal. And there's no explanation anywhere at all as to why these things are here, what they signify. They, the way they're haphazardly installed doesn't make it look like they were part of a building. I mean, they're kind of in rows, but not really. It's just this weird, surreal place, and I really like weird, surreal places, so I highly recommend you visit this place. Now, the backstory, I ha I'll have a link in the show notes that has the complete backstory, but basically, this is a failed concrete project from the 60s, and they were trying to see how a new kind of concrete would perform in Canada. And they just built all these pylons to try to see how they would do. And, well, apparently they do quite well because, you know, 50 years later, 60 years later, they're still there. And they look like they're in really good shape. So this is just one of those cool places that if you need to photograph an album cover or a book cover or you just want to be edgy, uh, go there at night, dress like a ghost. I don't know. Do whatever you want. It's kind of cool. I will have instructions for this in the show notes. But it's basically in Rosser, Winnipeg. There's no address I can give you, but it's not far from the intersection of Farmer Road and Sturgeon Road 
in Rosser near the Prairie Dog Central Railway. <laughs> Anyway, I, I've got the, the the directions are in the show notes. Go ahead and click on that if you want to go there. But really, this is this is worth a trip. It's it's such an interesting spot to see, unlike anything else I've ever seen in the country. And even though it doesn't have any actual significance, sometimes just being in these spaces is all you need to reset your emotional clock. Resource recommendation. Folks, you may have heard that 2024, we're going to have another total eclipse. And it is past time you made plans for that. Hotels are either sold out or incredibly expensive. Campgrounds are long filled up. And there isn't that much BLM land on the path because it goes through Texas, which doesn't have BLM land. So make some plans. And remember that this is in April. So even though this thing kind of cuts through the U.S. from, say, El Paso up through Dallas and then up to New England, it's in April. So all the northern areas, there's not a good chance that you're going to have sunshine, which you absolutely need to experience this. So I'm going to recommend you look somewhere down south, probably in Texas. But I don't have a good recommendation about where you should go. I can tell you that the cruise lines that are taking advantage of this are doing, for some reason that I don't like, two-week or longer cruises that include the Eclipse, and they're mostly sold out. Nobody was smart enough to do like a three-day trip from L.A. to Mazatlan and back or anything like that, which annoys me. That would have been such a perfect event, but whatever. That's what we've got. So I have a link in the show notes to the 2024 eclipse map. If you want to see the total eclipse, and I highly recommend you do because I did for the last one and it's just an amazing thing to see. I did a tale from the road about that a long time ago, but one of the most surprising things to me was uh, I was in a soybean field next to the Missouri River and when the tality happened, the land erupted in frogs. All these frogs came out. I had no idea I was surrounded by frogs. And then when the sun came back and you could see things again, all these confused frogs were hopping everywhere, not knowing what to do. It's really strange experience, but absolutely beautiful, and you should do it. So take a look at the 2024 eclipse map and figure out where you're going to be. I'm probably going to be in Texas. I don't know. I'm still working out details. For me, I don't actually need to be any place cool. I'm happy to be just any place along the route. And, uh, you know, for example, one place that's exactly along the route is at the HEB supermarket in Uvalde, Texas, which everyone's heard of, unfortunately. That would be a perfect place to just park for a few hours and witness this event. Although if you can be in nature somehow, that would be best because nature reacts to this. The birds do things. The frogs do things. It's just really cool. So make sure you have a plan if you want to see the eclipse because it's kind of past time already. Well, folks, thank you very much for sticking with me here and coming back. I really do appreciate it. It hasn't been easy, but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. And if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel. It's Built to Go, a YouTube channel, and you'll be seeing more stuff there, hopefully, very soon. Until next time, remember the words of Walter Elliott. Perseverance is not a long race. It is many short races, one after the other.